Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. You can also find us at our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com. And please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Well, here we are for another discussion about AM Holmes, the mistress's daughter. I hope everyone is following along. It's such a great book. It's Uh, such a good book. And it just gets better and better. So we last left off when with her birth father and asking, she'd asked him if he'd told his children yet. And he says, no. So they leave. Oh, yes. They were, they were meeting in hotels and things. Now she's gone to DC to give a reading and Norman finds out and calls her up. And he says, you know, in the pit, in the Gazette, there are pictures of you and my daughter. And I liked her response where she says, I'm the ghost, the one who does not exist. Yeah. Because he referred, you know, like his daughter, he didn't. His daughter. It's like a How about you and you and my daughter being in the same paper at the same time? Yes. So, which was funny because AM is, you know in the paper because she's doing a reading for a book she's published and and the, oh, the daughter is in the paper because her daughter's in a beauty pageant at McDonald's at dressing McDonald's. like Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't she write a piece? So AM also wrote a piece in her past about someone dating a real life Barbie. Yes. And she's like, really, this is why we're in the paper together. But what's the greatest part about this chapter is she runs out to madly get that paper in the rain Mm -hmm. like crazy. She has to see it because she has to see her sister. I thought there was one thing before that though, that, that she said, and I, you know, it's, I have felt like this so much in my life where she was also thinking about her birth mother moving to New York because that's Mm -hmm. what Norman had told her that, and now her parents are in touch. And he told her that Ellen was thinking of moving to New York and, She's saying she's thinking she's not safe in New York. And then now the DC is not safe because of all this stuff. And then she just says, no place is home. And I definitely felt like that in my life, you know, until Becker came along. Yeah. uh, You know, finally made me feel like at home somewhere. Home is where he is. So I totally agree. She puts in, in the middle of a story, like such big zingers like that. It kind of almost takes my breath away. Mm hmm. Like not being safe, no place is home. And I just, I do find, I think we talked about in the last one that sometimes in my own home, I'm not at home. Mm-hmm. But if my family's with me, if I'm with my son, my husband, his girlfriend, then I just, I could be anywhere and that's comforting. That's home. Yeah. I feel like when I go visit my son and, and his girlfriend in Dallas and they make, you know, I have my room there and, and, you know, then when like the first night I'll fly in, I get into bed, I'm like, there is literally nowhere I'd rather be. I yeah. feel like, ah, like I can sigh. Yeah, you sleep sigh well. The anxiety you know? is gone, isn't that? Yeah. And that is the truth. And she does, you know, she rushes to get the paper and she's scanning, you know, the articles about a Barbie children's fashion show at McDonald's. And then she looks, you know, she's, what's she wearing? And she says, is she dressed right for a nice lunch? Does she own jewelry? I look at the picture carefully. I see her fat thigh, her belly, her feet, her outstretched hand. And it is my thigh, my belly, my feet, my hand. Yeah. 
she actually recognizes her body because the woman has a hat on almost like she can't see her face, but she sees her in the the woman, in her sister, Mm -hmm. just looking at that. And then she has another part that goes on about that where she says, I'm sure she dresses right for lunch. It's depressing as hell Mm -hmm. because she just feels like the rejected one, not important. And she's just, you know, remember when he sized her up and how she looked and yeah, that's what, that's why he mm-hmm. said, you know, I would have taken you to a nice lunch, but yeah, uh, but, we, yeah. but well, look what you're wearing. And she was yeah. totally in nice pants and a, <laughs> and a sweater. It's terrible. And then now it's like getting close to her birthday, right? But she shares a birthday with, with my son. Oh, I saw that actually. Yeah, I noted that. And then this was another thing that I thought was another universal adoptee feeling i think how can a person with no history have a birthday yeah are you sure it's my birthday are you sure of how old i am how do you know what proof do you have you know not having an original birth certificate like she didn't get her birth certificate for two years after she was born was there a delay because i belong to no one hovered in limbo land waiting to become someone i mean all this stuff like i was talking to a a friend of mine the other day about adoption, she's like, you know, I'm just, I don't have, it's so interesting to hear this stuff. I have no reference point. I have no idea what that must be like. Yeah. Well, I think that I still don't have my original birth certificate. And that made me think about it actually. Like, I wonder if mine's as clean cut as I think. Like, I just assume, like, why didn't she have one for two years? That is bizarre. Well, I think, you know, in my case, my adoption wasn't final. It took a year until the mm. until it was final. And then I have the adoption decree that states my name is Donna Lynn. And then, you know, of course we know, and I've talked about it, that I've gotten my original birth certificate it has a completely different name. So I have three names, but I think that wasn't issued yeah. until, until the adoption decree was final. So I think sometimes that just take... The mother wouldn't sign off. I do remember that. Mm-hmm. Right. So probably that was the delay. I've never seen any of my papers at all. Well, In fact, that's something I'm doing. Yes. Do. yes. These holidays, we're taking a little break, you and I, and I'm going to do that because I, I'm always like, what's on my papers now? What if yes. I have a different name? There, You must have something. You must have an adoption decree somewhere. You I have nothing. You know, it? both my parents passed and we went through all their papers. Nothing. Maybe and no safe deposit box. No. Anywhere. I mean, there has to be paperwork somewhere. There isn't. Will and That's I both look. And there used to be. So we I don't wonder know. if, at, you know, maybe in like your dad, because of how strongly he felt that you were his child, maybe got maybe. rid of them. I don't know. We found stuff from everything. Like, you know, yeah, to everything. me, that sounds like someone purposefully. Well, you know, we also had a lot of people helping in the house during that time and a lot of things went missing. And my brother was like, wonder if they took it to make a social security card or something i mean who knows no because no says, idea it's there's no way it says on an original not to be used for i mean there's just no you can't there's, use it i know like, it's bizarre I, right it's like every a mystery original birth certificate for an adoptee is stamped with this is not meant for legal purposes so nobody i have, been able I have to got that. to i'm gonna do the whole you know the whole colorado thing and see what they give me yeah finally they're giving things colorado come on god you know well, then, okay, so then she has a reading. Right after this, she has to do a reading. And, you know, yes. Felt it feeling really vulnerable, like. Vulnerable. Her mom's been in New York, was talking about moving to New York. She's all scared. And I like 
I just like her writing this one part, how they're having it in a library. And she says, libraries are sacred, preserved spaces where people are supposed to behave well. They're trusted places for people who love books. But the whole time she's there, she doesn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she tempted to pull Lenny Bruce and stop the show and address the mystery guests, imploring them to reveal themselves like everybody was watching her. Was her was someone there watching her? And it is a weird feeling, an out-of-body thing, like, who am I all of a sudden? Yeah, like uh, the safety net of not knowing has now, the veil has been pulled away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Parts of this made me sad because then she goes into a whole story about after the reading, then she starts talking about her birthday, which you talked about, which is Becker's birthday. But she goes into being Jewish and wanting a Christmas tree and all of that. And, and that they used to have a Christmas tree right. and, then, and then it changed. and <laughs> Yeah. And then when she was little, she dragged home a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree. It made me think even then there's those little issues of, I don't know, it was just sad. Mm-hmm. It did make me sad. And she, yeah. everybody, you really do have to read this. It's so well written. Can't stand it. She's such a great writer. I was just, I was kind of thinking at moments, like she has moments of David Sedaris humor that. Yes. Yeah. And it's also to me, the dynamic of her birth parents being in touch with each other, that kind of attraction that still burns, you know, through them. And it's very odd that they talk to each other since she's been like, I feel like she's this middle person. It's bizarre, actually. Yeah. Like the dad drops little bombs like, oh, is the dragon lady coming? I thought she's been here. Like he knows things. That's just odd. And then she ends up going to see Schindler's List and, you know, the kind of has the parallels between kind of the dividing, the divisions and of, you know, the parallels between Schindler's List and adoption, really, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, and she goes, she goes during the holidays, her adopted parents say, oh, you're going to a movie. I hope you'll get in. What are you seeing? She's like Schindler's List. And they're like, well, that's supposed to be sad. She's like, exactly. Like, that's why yeah. she's going. And then she says, the, the I can't find the line, but she said, being in the movie was actually, she's the only person in the film thinking it was making her feel better. Right. List, right. Like everyone's sobbing and she's like, I'm actually feeling better, you know, because she yeah, had to she relate did, to. And she was thinking of Norman as Schindler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It is true when you're feeling so weird and down and you go see something sad. It's actually I, I need relieving. to take out what I said about like the parallels of adoption to Schindler's List. That's not at all what I meant. She was more saying the dividing of families, mm-hmm. you know, if Norman were like, he would take responsibility if he were the good guy he was supposed to be, that he says he is, you know, it was just, you'll have to listeners read the book. Yeah, to see this. I'm I'm not doing it justice. Well, it's about the losing of the family, right? And people having their identities ripped away. And she's also picturing Norman in his house at Christmas with their kids and the. And she knew that they had a beautiful Christmas tree because she drove by. Yeah, and looked, which which cracks me up that she's you know secretly talking s- sits outside Norman's house looking in and yeah yeah. And if he's so Christian, why don't his kids know about her? And when is she going to be welcome? She's like this bad secret, but everybody's so wonderful during the holidays. And it's just, it's just sad. Yeah. And then right after the new year, she hears from Ellen, her birth mother, wanting to see her. And she agrees. <laughs> so they agree to meet at the plaza, which is where, you know, part of the fantasy for Ellen of meeting mm-hmm. her at the plaza. And I don't think 
Louise, you want to hold off on this until our next chapter review? I do can, because yeah, I didn't read it. We far. can discuss that in depth. Yeah, and there's a lot because there's so like, much to that mm-hmm. to that first meeting. Yeah, I'm excited so. actually to like when we put this down. That's my break today is to keep going. Yes. Well, this has been amazing. And our next guest actually has a lot of insight and has, you know, written a book as well. Yes. Maybe she'll be another memoir. (laughs) Another part of our memoir series. Yes. Okay. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, we just want to give a shout out to all of our Patreons to say thank you. We are so grateful for your support and can't thank you enough. We're so close to being able to bring this podcast to you weekly. We just need a few more Patreons to get us there. So if you want to be one of those that pushes us over, we'd love it. You can go to patreon.com and search Adoption, The Making of Me. So many people have reached out wanting to be guests and coming to you weekly will give voice to adoptees that want to tell their story. Your support will help us get there. Any amount is appreciated. Thank you. So here we are for another episode, and we're very excited about today's guest. I met our guest through a mutual friend of ours that actually Sarah knows as well. We're all sort of connected. And this is Lori James. Hi, Lori. Hi, Louise. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Yes. We're excited too. Thank you. So, And you were, before we came on, Louise was saying that you guys we're next to each other at a dinner party or something. And you both found out you're adopted. And then... Yes. And it just was like magnetic. We just connected and we kept talking. And you know, I didn't realize that you and she had your own podcast. And we got onto that conversation. And I shared that I wrote a book titled Sandwich, a memoir of holding on and letting go, which talks a lot about my adoption is one of the main through threads of my adoption and how I felt very, very alone most of my life. And through being sandwiched between raising four children, my mother fell ill when my kids were teens and preteens. And then my marriage started to fall apart through this eight-year period of my life. I took this opportunity to introspectively look at what my part was in everything and went into therapy and did some extensive therapy, went away for a week at one point and really addressed some of that loneliness that I'd felt for most of my life. And had so you know, tell us, oh, yeah, oh, tell us, well, I was going to tell say, us your adoption you, story. Yeah. Exactly. Like, go ahead. Louise had a question. <laughs> so, no, I think it will get answered. Okay. Yeah. So I was adopted at birth. It was a private adoption. I was born in 64 to give people a reference. And like most of us that were born in the 60s, I was, you know, in the hospital for three days by myself, right? I mean, you didn't really have much contact with your birth mother or your adopted mother until every, they checked everything out. So the nurses were pretty much the only ones that I had any contact with. And where was this? What state? California. So mm-hmm. I was born in Arcadia, California. And my parents lived in the city south of that in El Monte. And I also have two older adopted siblings, two older brothers. I was the only daughter. But you know, one of the things that made me feel very alone was that I didn't feel like I belonged to my family, right? Uh I have two older brothers. 
I don't look like either of them. As you can see, I'm blonde hair, blue eyed. My oldest brother is Italian, Mexican combo, dark skin. My middle brother is, he looked like similar coloring, but not the same features. And I didn't look like my parents either. And I didn't really feel like I fit into my school or my community at that time either. So I felt like I was a fish out of water for sure. How did your parents come to adopt you and your two brothers? So that's a very great question and a very interesting story because my parents had struggled to have their own child. And my mother had carried a child to eight months. And then she had a stillborn. The umbilical cord was wrapped around the baby's neck and strangled the baby. So she had to deliver a baby. And it was a baby girl, which comes into later. I'll, I'll, as I go through my story, I'll share why that's important piece later on. And they had tried. And back then, they didn't have the fertility advancements that they have nowadays. Mm-hmm. And so... They at that point just kind of gave up. And it was really more my dad's issue. I think he had low sperm count. And so they just gave up. And I think that was really hard. I mean, I can only imagine. My mother never talked about it, of course, about her stillborn. I knew of it mostly from getting bits and pieces from friends. And I think she may have mentioned it. I've actually gotten more information from my dad through the years than my mom around it. And I think that it was just because I think it was part the the era, you know, we didn't talk about it, mm-hmm. but also it was so excruciatingly painful for her to talk about it. So I'm adopted into this family. I'm trying to fit in going through my life. I'm a tomboy. Were you told that you were adopted? I don't remember being told, I just always remembered knowing uh, yeah, I have that similar. I was adopted. Yeah. So mm-hmm. one of those things. So I think I was probably told at some point along the way. And then I also kind of looked around my environment and said, nobody looks like me either. <laughs> so I must be adopted. And, you know, there may have been little conversations of you know, my parents' friends saying, oh, you so lucky that you right, are the lucky adopted, <laughs> right? You're so lucky you're adopted into right. the family that wants you. And I did. There was a part of me that did feel very lucky. But like all kids who have an imagination, you're also wondering what my birth family might look like. You know, and it's always, I've listened to some of your podcasts and I so resonated with some of your past guests because it's like, yeah, I had this, you know, fantasy that (laughs) my birth mother was this wealthy, lived in this big, beautiful house and was going to come take me and sweep me away, right? (laughs) And come back and say she wanted me and I was going to live happily ever after, right? You know, and then, and that's not the the reality of it. And you know, there were times when I would get mad at my parents, and my oldest brother, when he turned about twelve, he so my oldest brother had struggles from the time he was in kindergarten, even before, but really when he got into school, struggled paying attention, struggled learning. 
we believe that he was a drug baby Mm. and he has addiction issues now, which also played into a lot of childhood trauma through my childhood. Adoptees are highly represented in addictive. Yeah. As substance abuse. Yes, exactly. Yes. I'm aware of that. And he still struggles. Mm-hmm. You know, it started out with alcohol and and pot. I'm told we can't call it pot. It's weed. <laughs> <laughs> my kids, my kids tell me, my adult kids say, no, mom, it's weed. <laughs> anyway, so, and then it eventually, by the time he got into his 20s, it turned into meth and he struggled with meth on and off for the last 20 years, been in and out of jail, been in prison abuse, like he's hit his girlfriend. There was some sexual abuse between the two. Well, he sexually abused me as a child too. So that was the childhood trauma that I experienced as well. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I didn't really address it. I thought I had taken care of it, but I didn't really address it until I was in my forties, mid forties into my fifties. And now I'm 57. So I feel like I've dealt with a lot of that and and worked through a lot of it. I mean, there's always more layers that we can can process and and understand. When you went through this is a little segue, but when you went through some of this trauma and then got help for it in the earlier years, did anyone bring up you being adopted or was that even really No. No. Or your brother, they didn't. It was just kind of like yeah. No. Not even And what's interesting is, so my first therapist I was with for about, I don't know, maybe six or seven years, and she never made that correlation. And that was like in my 40s, like I started with her when I was 45 and I would see her separately. And then we, I would sometimes see her with my then husband, but it hasn't really been until the last four or five years that my therapist has really focused in on that. And not only talked about that and the childhood trauma, but also just about the abandonment from birth, the abandonment of being in the hospital for the first three days without any real, you know, motherly or human touch and and how that has early childbirth, early childhood trauma that you don't even know about. You don't even realize. Yeah. And that's recent. I mean, really. Yeah. I'm always curious if people, Sarah and I discuss that, if people are talking about it in therapy now to people and helping them, but mm-hmm. hopefully it's changing. Yeah. And I have several girlfriends that are therapists and I ask them that question, like, do you get a lot of training around this with adoptees when you're going through school? And they say very little. I mean, God. they do focus on it, but it's not a lot. Mm. Not as much as it should be. Right. Yeah. I completely agree. Well, it's, you know, it's kind of tied into, I think, the whole birth industry, for lack of a better term. And this narrative of, I don't know, I just think there's a lot, it's a lot bigger than there's reasons why it's not being so focused on, I think, keeping it status quo. And well, yeah, because then you have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Why is it their problem? Right. You know, like, I mean, I'm being sarcastic, but I'm I'm completely in agreement. It's like, yeah, these are wounds that turn into 
physical ailments. They turn into mm-hmm. mental and emotional ailments. They turn into mental illness. They turn into depression. You know, they turn into dysfunctional relationships, avoidance, you know, unhealthy attachment styles, all of it. Yeah. It all plays into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you were going through this, did you have reunion at all with your, like, did you look for your birth mother? Okay. I know so a little bit a, about this. Well, myself. wait, I, w- I want to go, hold yeah. on. I want to back up just a minute. Did anybody know about the sexual abuse? Did mm. your parents know about it? I did not tell my parents until I was in my early twenties, but all my friends, like all my girlfriends did not want to come over to my house because they, my brother creeped them out. And so I would always go over to their house. My mom would always say, why don't your friends come over here? And like, and I was like, oh, you know, we're going to go listen to music on their, you know, their records or whatever it was. I always made an excuse of why we were going to somebody else's house. And I did finally tell my parents when I was in my early 20s. And, and I write about this in the book too. And my mom had a lot on her shoulders, not to only raising this very difficult child, you know, but she raised all three of us. She was a teacher. She worked. She went back and got her master's. She hadn't dealt with her own trauma of losing this stillborn because she, they didn't really have therapy back then. No. And the other piece of this that I'll go into now, and then I'll go to your question, Luis, is I didn't find this out until my late 40s. And my dad told me I was taking him to a doctor's appointment. I've been taking care of my parents for 14 years. My mom had dementia for 12 years and my dad's 93. So anyway, so taking my dad to a doctor's appointment. So this is whatever, you know, maybe nine years ago, eight years ago. And he says, he says, Lori, you know, he always thanks me. Thank you for taking, you know, thank you for, I don't know what I do without you. I said, you're welcome, dad. I'm happy to be here. Happy to help. He says, you know, we almost didn't have you. And I said, what do you mean? You almost didn't have me. He says, well, yeah, we adopted a little girl in between your two older brothers. And we had her for six months. What? And then the birth mother came and took her away. So by the time I came along, okay, I'm getting chills right now. Yeah. By the time I came along, my mom had not only lost a stillborn, an eight-month-old stillborn, she had cared for this little girl for six months. Then the baby got taken away. And then I'm the third child and I'm finally a girl. So the other piece of it is through most of my life, and you know, maybe I'm highly sensitive, maybe it's just my intuition, I don't know, but I always felt this emotional distance from my mom. I'm sure. I'm sure and she couldn't even I, connect with you. Yeah, yeah. And I knew I was loved and wanted, but I still just felt this disconnection from her. Like maybe you didn't have that bonding that, yeah. that is... Well, not that the is bonding a, from the beginning, right? Not the bonding throughout, you know, just like it was almost like, you know, I'll get close to you and, and then that's close enough, right? And then mm-hmm. I'll get close to you and that's close enough. And I think that that was her fear, her ultimate fear, whether conscious or unconscious, of losing another baby girl. And how was she with your brothers? And yeah, and I wanted to, how's this, how is the middle brother? Oh, he's very angry. <laughs> 
he basically divorced our family. So he has his own trauma. I mean, so he has his own trauma that he hasn't dealt with. Yes. Yeah. Right. Three, totally. three children in trauma. Adoption right. is trauma. Relinquishment is. is trauma. It is. No matter how good, you know, the family you go in, you're adopted into maybe it's trauma. It's trauma. It is mm-hmm. a trauma. And when it's not talked about and you don't feel safe to have a conversation or ask the questions that you're wondering about, it's just a really bad recipe Yeah, for a lot of struggles. So fast forward, I'm married. I have two kids. I'm answering your question, Louise, mm-hmm. about meeting my birth mother. I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old at the time. And I'd always told my husband that I didn't want to find my birth mother. And that was just something I felt really strongly about. And I don't know, you know, I just, for me, it just felt like opening Pandora's box. And I just didn't know what I was going to open up. And even though my relationship with my mother wasn't perfect, I still loved her. And I also didn't want to betray her. Yeah. Mixed. Right. It was, yes, constantly. So back in the mid nineties, we get internet access. (laughs) My husband at the time, Ooh, Google internet. Let's search something interesting. He searches for my birth mother. Did you know, how did you know her name? I was just, I had, because I applied for, so I had my adoption papers. I did get them from my birth parents. They gave them to me when I was an adult. And I also applied for, I, I had unidentifiable information in the state of California. You can request that, which basically just gives like basic information. Right, like, yeah. I think that's you know. every state does that. Yeah. Yeah. So I had that, but I had my adoption paper. So it had my birth mother's name on it. It was and, her real name. It was her, real, her name. real name. And so, and the last name, I won't say it because she likes to stay private because not everybody in her family knows but it was a very unique last name. As you can probably tell, I'm, you know, Swedish, I'm Scandinavian mm-hmm. background. And so I wake up one morning, I'm getting ready. And my husband says, I have something to tell you. I'm like, okay, brushing my teeth, whatever. I feel like that's a huge Washington. boundary thing when someone else searches for this, but go on. <laughs> That's bothering me. (laughs) And he says, I located your birth mother. I said, you did what? He says, yeah. And she'd like to meet you. Oh my goodness. Oh, he actually reached out to her? He outed you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that's stepping a lot of lines. I flipped a chicken. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) be myself. Like such a major boundary crosser, but also like all Not surprised that- your divorce now, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say so. I was like, wonder if Sarah will say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it took me a little longer to actually pull the trigger, but yes. and oh my God. It, talk about just I exploded. I was so angry, didn't know what to do with my emotions. I go to a therapist. That is somebody that my mom knew, old school thinking. Oh, yeah. Basically tells me that 
I should not make a big deal out of it. (laughs) And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? This is a big deal. And this isn't his place. He should not have done it. And the other pieces, he kind of sort of apologized, but didn't and kept making excuses like, well, why wouldn't you want to meet her? Don't you want to know her, our medical history for our kids? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, it's not your decision. It's not your place. So now she's sitting out there waiting for you to get in contact, which is going to be, that's big for her. Yeah. It's just like, you know, this tumultuous storm inside me. I'm just like stirring and what do I do? And I don't want to hurt my my adopted mom, but I don't want to hurt my birth mom. And then how do I honor myself? And I'm pissed off at my husband. Like, oh. Yeah. And really adoptees have to come to this at their own time. So that is just. Right. (laughs) He knows now that that was the beginning of the end. Right. So the bottom line is I did end up meeting her. And Um, what were the circumstances of your birth? So the circumstances of my birth were she was a civilian working in for a military base. And she ended up having a relationship with somebody that was in the military and she got pregnant. She told him and he said, I'm sorry, I'm promised to somebody back at home. I'm not willing to take any responsibility for this. Basically, I'm not willing to even marry you for three months or nine months or whatever it is until we can do this and, you know, put the baby up for adoption, nothing. So she went away to a, I don't know what you call it, a home, unwed mothers, an unwed mother home. Thank you. And stayed there until she gave birth to me. And then, you know, and then everything changed hands to my adopted family, my adopted parents. And how old was she when this happened? She was around 25, but, you know, no prospects, wonderful family. I mean, I never met my birth mother's parents. They were passed away by the time I met her, but they seemed like very nice people. Seemed like she was raised in a nice family. She said she wanted to keep me if it was her decision she would have. And that always makes you feel good, but... It was hard. And I was not at the time when I met her, you know, I was in my mid 30s. I was not ready to have a relationship with her. I was working, you know, full time essentially. I had two little kids. I had my mother, I still had a relationship with my mother. I just didn't feel like I had room for her in my life. And so, and I, I was the only child she ever had. Oh, she didn't have any other children. She never had any other children. Okay. So you obviously went down the road of meeting her. What was that like? Because you did have the fish out of water so much. So it was another instance was, do I belong to you? Mm -hmm. I don't belong to you. I look like you. It was like meeting a distant aunt. Mm -hmm. And she's a lovely, lovely woman. And she's been nothing but kind to me and kind to my kids. But at the time, I just, because it wasn't on my terms and I didn't want it, I felt like it was forced. I felt an obligation to meet her, but I felt like the whole situation was forced. 
And because I was her only child, she wanted to have a relationship with me. Yeah. Right. I mean, she was ready to just integrate into my life. And I was like, no, I am so not ready for this. And this is all pre cell phones. And I think it was even before I might have even had an email address. And so I said, I'd love to stay in touch with you once or twice a year, but I just am not ready to have anything more than that. And she was very respectful of that and you know, kept her distance. And it really has like maybe over the last two years, she came to one of my book signings that I did at a book event or a bookstore down in Orange County because she lives down in Orange County. And so she came to that, which was very nice. I've always made an effort to have her, since I am her only child, she doesn't have any grandchildren. I'd always get my kids together and have lunch with her around the holidays. So I did that. How do your kids feel about her? I mean, what do they call her? Like, what? what's that? They call thing? her by her first name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I mean, I feel like, you know, and I've always been very open with my kids about, you know, who she is and everything, uh, you know, even when they were little. And, you know, I think for them, it's like another distant relative. I don't feel like they, they don't feel this strong bond to her, but they don't oppose her either in any way. In these 20 some odd years, you never were, have been able to like open your heart to her more over the last couple of years. And I think part of that was my mom passed away about two and a half years ago. And, and I was finished writing my book, which is also was extremely cathartic. It was another form of healing for me because it's a memoir and it really helped me make sense of a lot of what happened in my life and put my emotions down in paper and tell it in a story. Mm-hmm. And so it really helped me make sense of what was going on. And that I think in a lot of ways, just to understand is very cathartic and very healing. Does your birth mother, has she read the book and does she kind of understand? Like, how does she feel about it? Is she hurt in general? She hasn't said much about the book, but I know she did read it. And I told her... I was, I told her before she read the book, I said, there's something in here that is going to be very hard for you to read because I write about the sexual abuse between my brother, or I should say not between my brother, that the sexual abuse from my brother. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want her to, and I talk about some of my struggles through my childhood and I didn't want her to feel the sense of responsibility of, I shouldn't have given her up. I shouldn't have done that. And if I wouldn't have, she wouldn't have experienced that, right? Because we all are who we are because of our experiences. And as awful as some of my experiences were, it's made me who I am today. Yeah. And so I didn't want her to feel guilty or ashamed of what she did for giving me up for adoption because she did what she had to or at the time, socially and financially. Did she carry that shame with her? Like, is that part of the reason she didn't have other children or? 
that's not part of why she didn't have other children. I think she did get married. The guy that she married had a couple of children. That marriage didn't work out. I think it was just she didn't find the right person. Mm-hmm. And that's why she didn't have more kids. Do a search for your birth father or... No, especially after the fact that he, the way he treated my birth mother and like, no, I'm not going to take responsibility for this. And no, I'm promised to somebody else. So what am I going to do? Go disrupt his life and turn his <laughs> world upside down? Yeah, that's the big question. For what benefit? Siblings? Have you done the DNA? Like, are you on ancestry no. or any of this? Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> but my kids, a couple of my kids have. Yeah. And have they come found some unknown relatives? Obviously, not on matches. my part. But the funny thing is, they did on my husband's part. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And my husband's brother. Just a little side note: my husband's brother donated sperm back in when he was in college, which happens a lot, right? right. And I think one of your one of your guests that may have happened to right. Is yep. that, if I recall right, yeah. And so uh, what, no, we didn't, Louise. No, it was okay, maybe his, it was somebody else. Yeah, it wasn't maybe us. it was somebody else. But anyway, so my kid's uncle, my husband's brother, donated sperm, and so that he has a child out there from that. Yeah. Oh, it's a story I told of a friend of mine. That's he had. He knows like twenty kids from this one. Man. Oh, really? But that's that's going to come up more and more on this yeah. Australian DNA. Yeah, a lot of sure. people did that to make money. And so I mean, if I had known about it, I probably would have given an egg away back in the day. (laughs) I'm not kidding. It was always like scamming for something to make money. (laughs) Make my eggs. Easier for the man, even right. right? Make my rent. Have a little party. Exactly. Whatever it was. Read a magazine. Get some cash. (laughs) (laughs) What about now with? Your, did your adopted mom before she died? I know she had dementia, but did she ever know that you found your birth mother or your, yeah. did your and father? They, who's they actually met. Oh, so after I met my birth mother, so let me take a step back. So after that morning, when my then husband shares this fabulous news with me, <laughs> my, you know, mind goes, I need to tell my adopted mom. Oh my God, I don't want to have her find out on her own somehow. And she was leaving for a trip. She was a teacher. So this was during the summer. And she was about to leave on a, I don't know, four-week trip or whatever with some of her girlfriends. And so I asked her out to lunch and I told her. And she said, I'd like to meet your birth mother. And again, I was like, I don't, I'm unsure about this. Like, I don't know. Do I really do this? And so I did. So maybe two months later, I had my birth mother came over and my adopted mother there and my kids. And we kind of had tea and chatted. And, and I, that's, you know, that's what? big of your adopted mother. I mean, yeah. No, my adopted mother, in so many ways, she was so awesome. I mean, you know, she just had a big heart and very loving, very compassionate person. She was a teacher. She loved kids. She helped start a preschool in her church. I mean, she did a lot of really wonderful things. And then she Um, knew the trauma you went through by this time, too. So, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, she also said, Oh, don't worry about, you know, what your husband did. He didn't mean to hurt you kind of thing. I was like, wait a minute. 
what about me? Like what? Yeah. You know, it's mm. like, well, Lori, everybody comes first. You should know this. <laughs> I know. As an adoptee, all the adults' feelings come before ours. That's, yes, that's right. <laughs> the, uh, the birth mother, the adopted mother. Yeah, we're all we're having to husband. juggle to make sure everyone feels okay. Right. No one gets hurt. <laughs> Just us. Right. Exactly. Another wound. Another yeah, wound. Yeah. Another oh. wound. I'm used to wounds. I can handle right. it. <laughs> Let me take the scab off that one. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, well, this has really been so yeah. great. I, I'm dying for you to do DNA. And I know I am too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid. I know I can tell, but that's. You yeah. never, you know, you don't have to reach out to anybody. You could just see what's out there. Yeah. I don't know. Here we are. I have it. I know. <laughs> have you Not guys both do done it? Mm-hmm. Yes, we've both done it. And I had, by the way, so I had a lot of people in my inbox, you know, not my inbox, but my, you see, my husband sort of did it for me as a present. And all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, there's all these people I'm connected to. And they just kind of sat there for a long time. Like uh-huh. Sarah said, you don't have to, nobody has, to, a lot of people aren't active on there. You don't have to do anything about it, but it was fascinating to see. Yeah. And from, and you know, I, I also did it because I do want for my son to know just his, he's really interested in like his heritage on his dad's side. You know, they, they're very like, you know, Latin and they have the Spanish tie and the Italian mm. and they're all very proud of it and know exactly where their generations came from. And he's like, I want to know. Yeah. So that, that it's been kind of an interesting thing on that side. Yeah. And yeah. Sarah found a whole bunch of connections. Well, I did because my birth mother was also adopted. So oh, wow. that was yeah. how I found her family was through ancestry a few years wow, ago. Wow, that must yeah. have been interesting. It has been it has been really, really interesting. interesting. I think out of the so she was given up for adoption and out of she was from Rochester, New York, and out of the six kids that her birth mother came from, four of them gave up kids for adoption. Wow. There's a lot of people out there to connect with. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's, I think you're on a journey, but we're not encouraging. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were, but we're and not. You know what? Maybe at some point I'm just not quite there yet. Well, you've when been through there. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know when you're there. I will. And we can help, we can walk your hand through it. Yeah. Yes. I, I definitely will. I'll definitely take you up on that, that offer. Because... And we're going to stay in touch with you anyway, because we have our dear mutual friend. And yes, when absolutely. Sarah comes to town, we're all going to, Go down to CEO. Yes, I would love that. I'll we'll have an adoptee so lunch. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, definitely let me know when you're in town. I would love that. That would be so much fun. Okay. I'll yeah. keep listening for that though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love your podcast. I've enjoyed so many of the stories. And the name of my book is Sandwiched, a memoir of holding on and letting go. Oh, thank and I you. love what you guys are talking about at the beginning too. Thank you. I love Thanks it. Thanks so much. That was really interesting, actually, because I met Lori socially. But right. She, she had a much bigger story than you had initially known. Yes. That's how it is with adoptees, right? There's a it lot is. of layers. There's a lot of layers. And once again, all the similarities that we share and, you know, some more than others. And I think having the two older adopted brothers and yeah. also being quote unquote replacement baby. Mm-hmm. All that stuff is heavy duty responsibility that yeah that, that is psychically put on you as a baby and a child and 
Yeah, you're absorbing. Like how she said, she always just didn't fit into her neighborhood or family. Mm-hmm. No one told her she was adopted. She just knew. She's like, I don't, where, who am I here? And then she yeah. assumed she was and was, but I'm glad she's doing the work to help others and writing. And she's so positive. She really is. And everybody read her book. Yep. Read her book. her book and read it. Yeah. We'll put the link in our show notes for you. Yes. And I'm so happy that all of our adoptee people are getting their voices out there. Me too. Me too. Well, see you next time. What do we say? We say another great episode. Another great episode. See ya. See ya. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time.